it's not hard to think about uh, the typical hobbies that guys like, is it? Guys' hobbies. What are some of those hobbies? Sports, fishing, fixing things, breaking things, boating, jewelry. Wait, you don't think that last one fit? Well, maybe not. But there is a time in every guy's life, most guy's life, where they become amateur gemologists. I'm sure you can think of that, those of you who are married or engaged. Now, when you're looking to pop the question to your sweetheart, a guy becomes this obsessed jewel fiend. I mean, he becomes a mock expert. I mean, we, we figure out the, whether we're going to get platinum or white gold or yellow gold, and we figure out, we do all the research, and it, okay, how, what's the, the four C's? What's the cut? You know, diamond, princess, you know, whatever. We figure out the clarity. Okay, how, how much can we afford? How, how perfect can we get this diamond? The color. Okay, does she want like an off-white or a beige? Well, probably not. But okay, we'll try to get it as white as possible. And of course, the all-important carrot. And ladies, you may be a little disappointed to uh, have found out that your husband wasn't quite as thrilled and obsessed about jewelry from that point on as he was before you were married. You may not daily be involved in the pursuit of gems or precious metals like gold or silver. That may not be at the forefront of your mind, but we all recognize their value, don't we? It's, uh, it's universal. In almost every culture, for thousands and thousands of years, humans have recognized that there are certain natural resources, gold, silver, diamonds, rubies, that are beautiful, that are valuable. Why is it, as we look at the topic of true value, why is it that we look at that diamond and we understand that that is worth a lot? You recognize that diamond? It's been the Smithsonian Institute, the Museum of Natural History. It's the Hope Diamond one of the most famous diamonds in the world. Why do we understand that that sapphire, I think it's called the Bismarck sapphire, is absolutely stunning and is worth so much? Or that ruby ring, I don't know if it has a cool name like the other two, but worth more than I will probably ever make in my lifetime. Or you look at, a bin full of solid gold trinkets. Uh, those, if I'm not mistaken, are thousands of years old. We have, as a race, mankind has always understood that some things, some natural resources are worth a lot. And it, I, know, I know I've got everybody's attention now, probably especially the ladies are looking up at that. There are some beautiful images up there. But it's not just the fact that they're beautiful that makes us realize that they're worth something. Because if that were the case, then we would value amethysts a lot more than we do. Is that not beautiful? It's gorgeous. But it's not nearly as valuable as the things I showed in the last slide. Amethyst you can get at a shop for a couple dollars each, you know, the either the unfinished ones or the smoothed out ones, 
They're beautiful, but they're not worth that much. They're more common. If it was just about what was pretty, what looked good, you would see a lot more copper jewelry. You don't see very much, but it has a very beautiful luster. It's a bright, shining metal. So it's not just what looks pretty, although that, that plays into it. We ascribe what's, we ascribe worth, value to things, because we understand that copper is useful, but right now, its price per ounce is a little over three dollars. The price of gold per ounce is over eleven hundred dollars. Primarily because gold is so rare. It's much more rare. Diamonds are much more rare than amethysts. It's not a question of the inherent beauty. We know that's uncommon, that's valuable, the rest of the world values it. So if I found a gold nugget, if I got my hands on, you know, a beautiful diamond, it's worth something. Lena's grandmother passed away and passed on a beautiful diamond ring to Lena. It's many years old, but that ring is still worth a lot. In fact, it's worth a lot more now than I'm sure when it was first purchased. Because those things, they don't lose their value. Throughout thousands of years, we understand their value. I don't think this is any surprise to you that the more rare it is, the more precious it is to us. Let me illustrate the point. Um, a couple months ago, John Veldis and uh, Josh Skeens and I went to a high school playoff football game at Southgate Anderson. And as we were walking up to the stadium, I looked down and I found some dollars at my, uh, just lying on the sidewalk. And I reached down and picked them up, and they were mine. If, if it had been a nickel, maybe I should set the stage a little better. It was really cold. We were, we were walking very, very quickly. Very quickly. Would I have stopped to pick up a nickel on the sidewalk? Probably not. That was $10 there as I picked it up and figured out. What? If I didn't pick it up, you know somebody else would have. Because it's valuable. It's more valuable than a penny or a nickel. They don't make as many $5 bills as they make pennies or nickels, right? It just goes without saying. But we understand that certain things are more valuable than others. Sometimes we don't even know why it is, but we just know, ooh, a ruby, ooh, a diamond, ooh, gold, oh, copper, oh, amethyst. Yeah, it's all right, but it's not as valuable to us. These things are worth more of our effort, more of our time, more of our energy, more of our money, because we understand their value. And particularly, my friends, this morning, the Earth's natural resources, the ones we've been looking at. I'm not, there are other resources, but the ones I'm looking at this morning are these things like diamonds and gold. Things that just have a classic value that we all understand, universal. And these things are not easy to find. They're not lying on the ground outside a football stadium for you to find. Natural resources have to be carved out of the earth where God put them. Humans have always been fixated on getting their hands on these precious metals or precious stones. We will go to incredible lengths to discover a gold nugget, a vein of silver, or a diamond mine. Those who seek precious metals, for example, usually expect to go through hundreds, if not thousands of tons 
of worthless soil to find just a little of that valuable mineral. Take gold, for example. I'm sure you, it's no surprise to you, you've heard of the famous California gold rushes of the mid-19th century. Uh, this nugget, by the way, is from northern Australia. It's the size of your hand. I don't know what the exact value of that is, but uh, I believe the weight was 34, 35 ounces. Just by current value, do the math. And we understand and have always understand that gold was worth something. And back in California in the mid-19th century, a lot of that gold could be found just by sifting through. A miner would squat down for hours or days at a time and sift through the silt at the bottom of a stream and come up with a couple tiny gold nuggets. And that made them happy. There was a little bit of gold there, and they would search as long as they needed to because they knew there was gold there to be found. Of course, that wasn't the way to build a commercial empire, though, that little bit of gold you could pull from a stream. No, the, the way to really get at the big veins of gold was to blast down into the earth. And thus began the practice of gold mining, not just in California, but gold mining involves getting down in the earth, blasting down, digging down, making tunnels through the darkness, putting shafts and ropes and pulleys, getting a system together and blasting through until you find that little vein of gold or zinc or copper or silver. Any metal really has to be pulled out of the earth. And it wouldn't matter to these miners, it wouldn't matter how dangerous it was. It wouldn't matter how dark it was, how many tunnels collapsed, how much dynamite went off too early or too much, how much lethal gas escaped. Those mines would be excavated until they were dry. They would be squeezed for every last little bit of gold. And then sometimes even after all the gold was gone, people would still fight over who owned the property rights to that particular mine. And of course, even after the long work of mining that ore out of the earth is done, there's still a lot of work to be done, isn't there? I had to do a little research. After ore is mined out of the earth, it has to, most metals have to go through a long process before they're usable. You don't pull out a gold ring out of solid rock. I'm sure we understand that. But metals like gold, iron, copper, silver, they have to go through what's known as reduction. And there's different processes that can do that, but what it does is it bakes out the ore and turns it into just the metal. So instead of the rock and everything else that makes up a gold nugget, you can see the impurities in that from here. That gold nugget, sometimes gold nuggets are worth more than gold just by themselves because they're so rare. But if you were going to go, if that was going to go through reduction, it would be treated until it was just the metal. But then you have another step. Then metal, gold or whatever else, has to be purified, has to be refined. The more impurities there are in it, the less it's worth. So it will go through that long process of refining in order to bake out all the impurities. That's why, and I did not know this, that's why you've heard of 10, 14, 18, 24 karat gold. 24 karat gold is the most valuable because it is completely gold. There's no filler. But 10 karat gold or 14, 14 karat gold, for example, 
has 10 parts of things that are not gold and 14 parts gold. So that 14 karat ring is mostly gold, but not entirely. That 24 karat gold ring weighs your finger down a little bit more because it's heavier and it's obviously a lot more valuable. We understand the value of gold. We always have. And mankind has always been willing to go through great lengths, no matter what the danger, no matter how many hours they had to search for it. We would look for gold or diamonds. We would fight over it. It was valuable to us. But it's only valuable to humans. A peregrine falcon has some of the sharpest eyes in the whole animal kingdom. From up, flying up above, hundreds, thousands of feet above the earth, they can look down and see their prey and come down, swoop down at incredible speeds and snatch it. But a peregrine falcon has never looked down and seen an emerald mine. A lion is, has incredible strength. Wherever a lion is, it's at the top of the food chain. But a lion's strength can't dig down into the earth, break apart the rock, and get at a silver vein. Of course, even if they could, they wouldn't want to, right? Animals don't value these things like we do. It goes without saying. Mankind really is amazingly clever, and I mean that. I'm not being facetious. We have developed ingenious methods to pry precious resources out of this earth. We tunnel into the mountains. We'll go into the oceans. We'll go into the seas, into the rivers. We will do anything. And it's not just metals and jewels and gems. Coal, oil, natural gas. Mankind has brilliantly discovered valuable things hidden in this earth that God has given us and dug at those things, processed them, gone through so many different procedures, developed machinery, to be able to get at those things. Why? Because it was valuable to us. We have always found a way to get our hands on what's important to us, haven't we? However, there's one thing that mankind, with all our impressive cunning and our determined searching, has not been able to find. And I promise you, we never will on our own. It's not a cure for cancer. Someday we may see that. It's not a car that runs on water. There may come a day when some automaker finds the magic formula. Cliff's probably back there shaking his head saying, no, it's never going to happen. But it might. It might. But the thing that humans have never been able to do and will never be able to do is find God on their own. It's to find meaning in their life, to discover what it's all about. What's the true meaning of life? What's, what is truth? Pilate asked Jesus. They haven't been able to find it. And don't think they haven't looked. Romans 1, 20-22 says, Men are without excuse, for although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Romans 3.11, there is no one who understands, no one who gets it on their own, no one who seeks God. But mankind has always looked, haven't they? 
trying to find the meaning of life. They may write self-help books, attend therapy groups, go on pilgrimages, burn incense, but they can't find what they're looking for. The true wisdom of a life that's right with God and is devoted to Him eludes them. Wisdom, my friends, can't be dug out of the ground. It can't be dragged out of the oceans. It can't be bought on the black market or won in an eBay auction or stumbled upon in blind luck. The purest gold is worthless compared to it. The biggest, most beautiful gemstone in the world, that hope diamond, worth millions of dollars, it may get you a lot of the world's goods. It may get you really far. But it won't buy you wisdom. None of the wealth that a person accumulates can buy them favor with God. Proverbs 8, 10 through 11. Choose my instruction instead of silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Again, a peregrine falcon, a wonderful creation of God, cannot find wisdom. A lion, a powerful, majestic creature, does not understand God, does not desire God. There is no living creature on this earth that has ever been able to locate wisdom on its own, that has ever figured it all out. And even death and disaster do not automatically bring wisdom with them. You know that? Listen to me carefully. Don't misunderstand me. The suffering of Haiti in and of itself from that earthquake will not bring that poor nation closer to God. Just suffering does not automatically mean you've become wiser. You've suddenly figured it out. You love God or know God better now. It will be missionaries bringing the gospel to Haiti. The true light of God that pierces the darkness that will help those people and save their souls. Ultimately, we have to conclude, God's wisdom and true purpose is completely inaccessible to man unless God gives it to him. We have just walked through the first 22 verses of Job 28. Please turn there. Job 28. Matt kindly explained much of the background of Job last week, and I had already settled on my text, so I'm not copying him, although he did a fine job. I won't repeat it all, but briefly, Job was a godly man, remember, who had fallen into one of the most severe trials that we can even imagine. His advisors thought that he must have sinned horribly to bring this on himself. But throughout the book, Job argues with him and maintains his innocence and says, No, I am not guilty. I have not hiding sin in my heart. I'm not rebelling against God. I don't know why this is happening to me. And Job questions God, but he still understands that God is in charge. Let's read those first 22 verses together. There is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore. 
Man puts an end to the darkness. He searches the farthest recesses for ore in the blackest darkness. Far from where people dwell, he cuts a shaft in places forgotten by the foot of man. Far from men, he dangles and sways. The earth from which food comes is transformed below as by fire. Sapphires come from its rocks, and its dust contains nuggets of gold. No bird of prey knows that hidden path. No falcon's eye has seen it. Proud beasts do not set foot on it, and no lion prowls there. Man's hand assaults the flinty rock and lays bare the roots of the mountains. He tunnels through the rock. His eyes see all its treasures. He searches the sources of the rivers and brings hidden things to light. But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? Man does not comprehend its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. The sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed in silver. It cannot be bought with the gold of Ophir and precious onyx or sapphires. Neither gold nor crystal can compare with it, nor can it be had for jewels of gold. Coral and jasper are not worthy of mention. The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. The topaz of Cush cannot be compared with it. It cannot be bought with pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds of the air. Destruction and death say, only a rumor of it has reached our ears. If you're the type of person who likes to keep an outline, you probably don't like me very much right now. I know I haven't made it easy on you, but this is where we've been so far, whether or not you realized it. True value is what Job 28 is all about. And really, the first thing we looked at was that man makes incredible efforts to gain and acquire precious natural resources. Ultimately, however, he is unable to naturally get wisdom. He can't find it. He doesn't understand it. He doesn't know what it's worth. He thinks he can buy it. He can't. And if it was just that, if it was just those two points, if this chapter ended after chapter 20, after verse 22, we'd probably leave here a little bit discouraged, wouldn't we? What do you expect of me, God? I'm just, I'm just trying to live my life. I'm just trying to provide for my family. I'm just trying to get by. I'm trying to keep my head down. I don't make too many waves. I don't, I try not to break the Ten Commandments. What do you want from me? How can, why are you hiding this wisdom? But Job can't leave it at that. Even in his pain and his loss, he acknowledges that the Lord is sovereign over everything. God alone is the source of true wisdom. We see that in these last few verses. Look at verses 23 and 24. God understands the way to it. He alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. God's knowledge is incomparable. The kids from our Kids for Truth classes in last semester understand God is omniscient means he knows everything. Okay, we know that. 
We've heard it in a book. We've heard another pastor say that. But what does it really mean? It means that there is nothing that God has ever been unaware of. Nothing ever caught him by surprise. It means that there is nothing that God has ever forgotten. He takes our sins out of his mind, but he does not forget anything. Because then he would not be truly omniscient. Would not be truly God. And it means that God sees everything that we see and everything that we do not. Our eyes are amazing organs, and we pick up on a lot. I pick up on less without my glasses. You may have noticed uh, I got these recently. I'm just happy the uh, microphone hasn't slipped off. It would be a terrible thing if that happened, wouldn't it? Our eyes pick up on a lot. But the eyes of the Lord, the Bible says, are everywhere, going throughout the earth. They see what you see. They see what you don't see. God must thoroughly understand every part of his universe because he sees it all. It's all open and bare before him. That's part of his amazing wisdom. And then look at the next couple verses, 25 through 27. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it like a jeweler holding up a precious gem to the light. He confirmed it and tested it. It's clear that God used his amazing wisdom in his creation of the world. Think about this. God planned the strength of every wind gust that has ever occurred since creation. How many wind gusts is that? How strong is each one? I have no idea. God marked out the boundaries like It's like he took a pencil and marked out the boundaries of every body of water throughout the entire planet. I'm going to give Lake Michigan this boundary. I'm going to give the Atlantic Ocean this boundary. God ordains the exact amount of water down to the milliliter that falls with every rainstorm that we got like we got last night. He maps out ahead of time where every single lightning bolt will strike. Nothing catches God off guard. He controls everything. He knows everything. That's the extent of his wisdom. He owns all true wisdom. Man may be able to tunnel into the mountain and find beautiful treasures, but God put the mountain there in the first place in his great creative wisdom. Man cannot access God's wisdom on his own unless God gives it to him. And this all-knowing, all-powerful, wonderful, mighty God has this to say to you and to me. Exactly applies to us. 28, the last verse. This great God said to man, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. Wow. You know what God's doing there? He's saying, I own all wisdom, all knowledge, all power is mine. And I'm going to lend you some of it. He even lends it to unbelievers. Because as we saw, mankind has great, incredible, ingenious schemes to blow precious metals out of the ground and then purify them down so they can make the ring that I'm wearing right now or the jewelry that you're wearing now. Man 
has knowledge, but it is lent by God. And the fear of the Lord, as this verse says, is basically synonymous with salvation in your Old Testament. It highlights the aspect of being devoted completely to God, submitting to Him and to His will. That, at the end of this whole beautiful chapter, it all boils down to fearing God. That is wisdom. Proverbs says that that is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. It's entering into a right relationship with God by faith. And then wisdom is spending the rest of your life trying to figure out God's will and obeying it. Wisdom is impossible, as the end of that verse says, to shun evil as understanding. It's impossible to really have wisdom and still have a light view of sin. And to still say, well, that's not really that bad. I don't think God's word is as clear on it as some people think. Ah, uh, you know what? I deserve that. That's not that bad. I'm not that bad. Why can't God just get off my case? Well, you know what? That attitude displays a lack of wisdom. Because true wisdom fears God, fears him so much that it hates evil and avoids it. Because that is not God's will for our lives. It is obvious that every believer should follow Christ's example. Christ was the perfect example of wisdom because he says over and over again, I came not to do my will, but the will of my Father that sent me. Staying close to God. And Proverbs lists many benefits of wisdom. Let me give you just one. Wisdom, if you have, if you acquire it, if you seek after it, if you latch onto that and make that the pattern of your life, it is a blessing to your children and your grandchildren, and your great-grandchildren, you leave a heritage of godly understanding that is passed on. And your children your grandchildren will look at you and say, Mom, Dad, Grandma, Grandpa, they were wise. Not that they were smart, not that they were cunning, not that they were really skilled with their hands, although they may have been those things, but they were wise. They followed God. They were devoted to Him. They avoided evil, and they submitted to God's will. And there's a very important issue that we need to be honest with ourselves at this point. How important is knowing God to us? Where does it fall on our list of priorities? I don't know about you, but at an issue like this, I tend to compare myself to others. If I can pick the person that I'm being compared to and I can pick the categories, I can usually find a way to come out on top. I look at somebody and I say, well, that person doesn't go to church as much as I do. Uh, that person seems rougher around the edges. That person seems fake. That person needs their priorities adjusted. That person's unfriendly. That person doesn't know God's word. And it makes up I look at my own heart and say, well, Zach, it's fine. It's fine to be lukewarm. It's fine to be selfish. It's fine to be shallow. Because other people are worse in maybe that one area, according to my perception. So I could look at this, and you could look at this and say, well, you know, I, I pursue God. I pursue God better than, the, you know, my neighbor. Well, she doesn't give a rip about anything spiritual. I pursue God better than my parents did. They didn't love him. They didn't know him. But Job is not comparing our desire for God with the desire for God of other people, is he? 
This whole chapter is about comparing your desire for God, your pursuit of wisdom, with how much you desire and pursue other things. Especially material prosperity, security, wealth, making a living, just getting by. You say, but we have to do those things. We have to work. Yes, we do. But ask yourself this question. According to this chapter, is your job more important than your relationship with God? No. No, it's not. Friends, we have to admit, we don't usually put our relationship with God first. And I admit that as much as anyone else. There's so much going on in our lives, so many issues to steal our attention, that God gets the leftovers. We don't even think during the day about how we're pleasing Him, or if what we're doing honors His name, or if we're learning day to day the lessons He's trying to teach us. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want to make it clear, it's not just material treasures either. It's anything that you value in your heart more than your relationship with God. And the stinking thing is, sometimes it's good things that you value too much. It's family. It's food. It's your job. Good things, all of them. But you value them too much. You place them above God. And the Lord says, no, I will not have it. You will honor me above all else. That is true wisdom. That is what we must truly value above everything else. God has complete ownership of wisdom. Look at those trinkets. Look at those baubles. Are they valuable on this earth? Absolutely. If you wanted to give me one of those things, would I deny it? No, I would not. Feel free. But is any one of those things, can it even compare with knowing God and following after Him? No. It might as well be dust. It might as well be ashes. Might as well be what's left after you burn a fire in your fireplace. It is worth nothing compared to knowing God. True value is knowing and following God in wisdom. And I want to ask you today, have you taken that first step of faith? Your priorities may not be right, but it may not be. It may be because you've never experienced this wisdom. You've never experienced the fear of the Lord. You've never submitted your heart to God and said, Lord, I need to be saved. I repent of my sins. I receive Jesus Christ into my life. You can do that right now by praying this prayer. It's a sample. The words are not magical. But if you mean this with your heart, if the Holy Spirit is tugging on you and you feel that yearning for something more, something that's more valuable than anything you've ever experienced in your life up to this point, my friends, this is for you. And God may be calling you right now to give up your pursuit of anything and everything except Him 
Put him first and foremost. Let's pray. Lord and Father, we are weak creatures. We do not understand your ways. We get our priorities mixed up. Sometimes we need to see your word and understand what you expect of us. We need to see the true value and wisdom of knowing you and putting you first. Lord, help each one in this room. I pray especially for the men, Lord, that they would set the pace in their families spiritually and understand how vitally important that is above all else. Lord, help each one of us as husbands and fathers to do what's right, to seek after your will and know how we can please you and lead our families better. Lord, help us to understand true value as you define it, not how the world defines it or how even we in our in our weakness define it. Lord, we want your wisdom, not the world's foolishness. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.